Amen, 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 amen. That's where he'll be. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. You know, since its inception, this church, in the past 33 years or so, has always been on the side of the persecuted. We stood by the persecuted, we supported the persecuted, we encouraged the persecuted, and we prayed regularly for the persecuted. In fact, the 10 years prior to the founding of this church, I was involved firsthand in ministering to the persecuted. I had the joy and the privilege in 1982 to be involved with a group of people in the Middle East who prayed for God to do something so unusual because Muslims cannot go to a church. And so they said, please, Lord, pray. Uh, We pray that you will show yourself to them and in revelations, in dreams, in visions. And my goodness, that movement since that time spread all over the world. And millions of people have come to Christ and are coming to Christ every single day, for which I thank God regularly. I had the joy prior to the founding of the Church of the Apostles of literally training thousands of Christian leaders who live in persecuted land. And I know that there are some people in the West, and in America particularly, who kind of feel sorry for the persecuted. I I know that. Whether committed believers or not, they just feel sorry for them. But let me tell you what they have said to me for the past 45 years that I've been ministering to those who are persecuted. They say to me, look, don't feel sorry for us. We are praying for you, Christians in the West, to have the joy and the blessing of being persecuted. (laughs) And I'm telling you, I think God has not only heard their prayers, He's answering their prayers. (laughs) But there can be no doubt in anyone's mind that persecution of Christians, Bible-believing Christians in the West, is on the increase. In the United States, courts, one after another, slowly but surely, are working to repeal the First Amendment to the Constitution. I can stand here and tell you one story after another of believers in England, in Australia, in the United States. I have a dear friend who's a doctor in the United Kingdom literally lost his job because he had the gumption just to witness to one of his patients. And I can tell you story after story about those who have lost their jobs for standing for righteousness and unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But one case suffice that some of you might even have read in the papers. And it's the case of a high school coach in Washington State. He lost his job simply because of exercising his First Amendment right. Coach Joe Kennedy taught in the Bremerton district, a school district in Washington State. After every game, and he's done that for years, after every game, he would come to the 50-yard line and he would kneel for 30 seconds to just thank God for the safety of the players for protecting the players. 
He did not preach. <laughs> he did not give an altar call. There were no choir singing just as I am. <laughs> Only half a minute of kneeling in silent prayer. Coach Kennedy never invited anyone to join him. None of the players ever felt pressured they should be with him. No one should have been offended by this simple expression of a constitutionally protected religious expression. But of course, you know and I know that Satan and his cohorts always offended, always offended by prayer of the righteous, particularly in public. They're often looking for ways to outlaw public expression of faith. And make no mistake about it, after the Supreme Court decision of June 2020, we're going to be experiencing more and more of the tyranny of the minority. And so, in 2015, after an extended court litigation, California Ninth District Court, Circuit Court, Ninth Circuit Court District, ruled against Coach Kennedy, and he lost his job, which really reminded me of another bureaucrat, a man who was highly placed in the Babylonian Empire because of his prayer. He did not only was threaten the loss of his job, but the loss of life. His name is Daniel. It's not surprising, therefore, that our Lord Jesus Christ placed being persecuted for righteousness at the apex of the superstructure that we call the Beatitude. He put that at the, the pinnacle, at the top of the top of the stairs that we've been talking about in the last several weeks in Matthew chapter 5. And today we come to this ultimate in godliness. It's the ultimate in godliness. I want you to turn with me, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. Some translations said revile you, persecute you, and falsely accuse you of all kinds of evil against you because of me. I always underline that because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who came before you. Father, this is more than all the other seven mind-blowing in every way. Blessed, happy are the persecuted for righteousness. Will you please open our spiritual eyes so that we, that we may see some wonderful truth from your Word? For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This particular beatitude, this top of the top has double portion of blessings associated with it. Double portion. 
this double portion of blessings are only given for a life that is motivated and propelled by righteous living. Uh, This double portion of blessing is only for those who seek a deeper walk with Christ. This double portion of blessings is only for those who have dispensed with low living, who have dispensed with shallow spiritual experiences, for those who have chosen the narrow way, not the broad highway. It is for those who seek the glory of Jesus above everything else in life. And that is why the Apostle Paul says in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, all, can you say all? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He say, maybe, possibly, will be persecuted. I'm going to explain all this. Here's something I don't want you to forget. When you embrace righteousness and righteous living, uh, you don't have to be confrontational. Are you with me? You don't have to be confrontational at all. Why? Because righteousness itself is confrontational. Because righteousness, by its very nature, is in conflict with wickedness. Let me illustrate this. We have absolutely no records or any indication that Abel was trying to evangelize his wicked brother Cain. Look at at the Scripture. Try to find. There is no inkling whatsoever that Abel was trying to Bible bash his disobedient brother Cain. But Abel's righteousness stood in such contrast to Cain's rebellion. Abel's righteousness was a rebuke to Cain's wickedness. Uh, Abel's righteousness was a sharp reproof to his brother's disobedience. And that is what he finally, in anger, he killed his brother. Himirat, please. You don't have to go looking for persecution. (laughs) Did you get that? You don't have to go and look for persecution. Persecution will find you if you live righteously. And by the same token, there is an easy way to avoid persecution altogether. You say, yeah, I'm going to give you both sides of, and it's your choice. (laughs) There is an easy way. I know that experientially. There's an easy way to avoid persecution altogether. All you need to do is just go with the flow. All you need to do is just live and let live. And you'll avoid it altogether. All you need to do is mimic the world. Just repeat what they say. All you need to do is adopt the world's standards and live by them. All you need to do, never express discomfort toward the world's immorality. All you need to do, never stand for biblical marriage. Never stand for the right of the unborn. And you'll never be persecuted. Keep your mouth shut about Jesus, and you'll never experience 
persecution. Or keep your mouth shut and just nod in agreement <laughs> with those who say, oh, what we need, to do, we need to live by our feelings. Just nod. You'll avoid persecution. Or even express discomfort when they, la- when they mock and laugh our biblical standards. Now, beloved, the root meaning of the word righteousness, not the root meaning, not the meaning of the word, but the root meaning of the word is to divide, is to divide. Be different. <laughs> um, be distinguished. Listen, the world system hates different. It just hates it. The world system loves conformity. And that is why they will call you names in order to shame you of your righteous living. Here's a fact. Jesus was persecuted because of His blazing righteousness. Jesus was persecuted because He did not fit into their mold. Uh, Jesus was persecuted because He would not conform to their image of Him. Jesus was persecuted because he, he was not only, is not only that truth, the whole truth, but He spoke the truth, He lived the truth, and He was finally died for the truth. Listen to what He said in John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world loves its own. But because you're not of the world, therefore, the world hates you. So don't be surprised. The, the thing that blows my mind is you say, happy, blessed are the persecuted. <laughs> People are looking for happiness. As a matter of fact, I just saw a headline just week that Americans are more unhappy now than ever been in 50 years. What they need is a good persecution. And they will get happy. Now, just before I go any further at this point, I want to make one statement. From my experience, in 45 years, there is a difference between persecuted for righteousness and being persecuted for being an objectionable jerk. You got that? Some of you have. Because I have known people. I have somebody come to me years ago, before the church even started, and he was saying, I'm being persecuted for my faith, and I found out that he's using the employer's time to witness. I said, you work for the employer, and you don't take his time to witness. You do the witnessing in your time. You're not persecuted for being faithful. You're persecuted for being a jerk. You've got to stay faithful to your boss. You've got to be faithful to your employees. So that's why I want to make that point very clear. You know, back in the 80s, I really had a rude awakening. It really was the first time in my adult life I experienced this rude awakening about the question of tolerance. It's a beautiful word. I mean, I just love the word. It's, It's fine. And the institution in which I was involved. I'm going to give you the bottom line. I'm not going to drag it. I found out that 
by tolerance they mean uh, that those who a Bible believing Christian, those who are godless, godly, just supposed to shut up. That's really what tolerance means. It means that Bible believing Christians must accept the sin that they have accepted as the norm, and they must accept the heretical teaching that they're teaching. That's really what tolerance was. It means that Bible-believing Christians should be good boys and girls and keep their mouth shut. And I go to their conventions and the meetings, and even if you open your mouth politely, they will insult you. They will call you names. Now, by the way, the word insult here means to speak in such a way as to injure a person's feeling in such a way that to hurt that person and hurt his pride or her pride. Why? Why do they do this? Why, why do they call us name? One reason, one main reason, is to rouse anger in you. They really do. They want, you to, make you, they want to make you angry. And, and if they make you angry, they've won. Did you get that? Say amen. amen. If they manage to get you angry, they've won. Because your anger makes the devil say, Ah, look. Look what I've done. I made him mad. I made her mad. Back then, I can truly tell you, and, and I have witnesses for that, that every time I spoke the truth, I spoke with a smile. I mean, I looked like an idiot sometimes, but, but I did it with a smile. <laughs> Even those who were opposed to my biblical stance were saying, man, you, you, why are you smiling? Everybody's insulting you. I said, praise God. <laughs> ah, because I knew that the very heart of their hatred and persecution was directed toward the Lord, not toward me. Listen, I was getting the Lord's mail. I was getting somebody else's mail. I was getting His mail. You see, never, never, never take persecution or insult personally. Did you get that? Don't take it personally. You say, well, how can I do this? Well, if you just think about what Jesus said, the reason they do this is because they hate me. And I told you in the last message, when Jesus appeared, the resurrected Jesus appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, he did not say, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because they're persecuting Jesus. That will give you a lot of peace. In fact, in my case, the opposite was true. It was their faces that changed color. The good thing about me is when, if my face changed color, nobody can tell the difference. <laughs> I'm always purple anyway. <laughs> but it was their faces that changed color. The jugular veins popped up, and, and, and the demeanor turned around 180 degrees. Their eyes narrowed, and, and, and they could have sent sparkling signals of their anger. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, major part of this kingdom of heaven, of course, is heaven itself. I'm going to say some more about it in a minute. That's the major part. But there is another part that people miss, 
about heaven or the kingdom of heaven. And that is the righteous living person is able to reign and rule over their own life. You see, we're going to reign and rule with Christ for all of eternity, but part of the kingdom of heaven is when you're able to reign and rule your own life in the midst of persecution, in the midst of insult, in the midst of name-calling. You're in control, and you know that they hated your Lord, and therefore they hate you. Did you know that every one of Jesus' disciples, except one, that's John, every one of them was not only persecuted, <laughs> but they're condemned to death. Every one of them. Let me give you a little sample. Actually, just about all of them, because John is the only one who lived to be 92, even though he was in Patmos, in isolation, exile. But because of that, they ignited a fire that has been burning for 2,000 years. Don't ever forget that. You see, James, the brother of John, he was beheaded in A.D. 36. Thomas, in other languages, Thomas, from which you get the church of Martoma in England, in, in India, which has been there for 2,000 years, where Thomas went and evangelized, founded the church of Martoma. He was beheaded in India. Simon, the brother of Jude, was crucified in Egypt during the reign of Theresian. Uh, Simeon, the zealot, was crucified in Mauritania. Mark, the first bishop of Alexandria, was burned to death in Egypt. Bartholomew was, be, was beaten and beheaded in Armenia. <laughs> Andrew, the brother of Peter, was crucified in A.D. 80 by Governor Aegean and burned in Achaia. Philip was stoned in Phrygia. James, the brother of our Lord Jesus, was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple, and when that did not kill him, they beat his head with big, big, big sticks until they killed him. And that's to say nothing of Peter, who when they tried to crucify him, he said, no, I don't deserve this privilege of being crucified like my Lord and Master. Crucify me upside down. Question, question, listen carefully. What suffering are you experiencing for righteousness? Let me repeat this. What suffering are you experiencing for righteousness? Every day at Leading the Way, every day, we are hearing of Christians being tortured and being deprived of food and sleep and ultimately beheaded simply because they would not deny their faith in their only Savior and Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never forget how I had a crusade in Jakarta, Indonesia, and there was a Muslim convert who became an evangelist, great evangelist. This was in the soccer stadium. Jonathan and my wife were with me, and, 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 and this particular evangelist, 
he was bringing three buses every night to the stadium. And a group of terrorists came up to his home and they said to him, they said, if you take these buses to that stadium where that Egyptian guy is preaching, <laughs> he said, we're going to kill you. Sure enough, he comes up, brings the buses, they're there. Johnny was interviewing him on camera. And he said, well, weren't you afraid? He said, no, I just got to Jesus. What an incredible faith. And we worry about a little headache or a little inconvenience. Today, there are hundreds of millions of Christians who are harassed daily simply because they will not depart from righteousness. The second blessing of this double blessing that Jesus bestow upon those who suffer for the sake of righteousness is that they will inherit heaven. They will reign and rule with Christ. Blessed are you when they revile you or insult you, speak all sorts of evil and false accusations against you. Ah, for my name's sake. The Bible-believing Christians today are called all sorts of names. We, the most loving people, we're called all sorts of names. We're called bigots. We're called extremists. We're called Islamophobe, homophobe, intolerant, unloving. And when I say phobe, I say, let me tell you something. I've never been a phobe of anything. This is a partial list. Don't ever forget they did this to Jesus. They falsely accused him. In Matthew eleven nineteen, they called Jesus. Now, just think about this. Jesus, the pure, sinless Son of God. They called him a glutton and a drunkard. And, oh, yeah, he's a friend of those people, <laughs> the tax collectors. Listen to me. If they falsely accuse the perfect Son of God, why are we surprised that they falsely accuse us? The reason why the slander that when it's behind the back is because it's hard to take, because it's, it's hard to defend. Slander, when they slander you behind your back, is, is difficult because... You have no opportunity it will ha to, to, start, to, to defend yourself before it's spread. But instead of spending time worrying about it, listen to me, this is the most important thing I'll tell you. Instead of worrying about it, count it a blessing. Count it a blessing. I know it's hard to think about this, but it's rejoice. Rejoice. When you are slandered for your biblical conviction, Jesus is saying, count on me. Look up to me. Leave it with me. Take time to pray for them. Pray for them. And if you have never done that, you need to do that. And this is how we're going to have victory. Peter, who learned from his master, the Lord Jesus Christ, in 1 Peter 4.13, all the way to 19, he tells us, Far from defending yourself, consider yourself privileged when you suffer for righteousness. 
In other words, he's saying, when you are hated, when you are maligned, when you are afflicted, remember their animosity not toward you, but toward the Lord. Please don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget this. Don't ever forget this. Satan's number one enemy is Christ. Did you get that? He is, but, but he can't, because <laughs> he got the, his teeth knocked out on the cross, so he can't reach Christ. So what does he do? He takes it out on Christ's followers. He takes it on the faithful children of the living God. So he opposes them everywhere, everywhere he can find an opportunity. In Matthew uh, 5.12, the last verse in this passage that we're going through right now, the Lord says we should inwardly be glad when that happens. Beloved, I don't need to tell you that there are untold numbers, preachers, Christian musicians, Christian leaders, untold number, Christians of all walks of life, who chose to hide the righteousness out of fear of persecution. I think you know this and as, as much as that. They, they fear rejection more than anything else. So you'll accommodate and accommodate and accommodate, and then they lower the biblical standard. They lower the biblical standard. Until they reach the floor, <laughs> we can just cross over. My friend and mentor for many years, in 71, he went to be with the Lord now, is John R. Stott, the great theologian from England. He was a wonderful mentor for me and a friend. Here's the wise advice he gives me and he gives us. He said, we don't retaliate like non-believers. We don't sulk like children. <laughs> and we don't lick our wounds in self-pity like a dog. We don't grin and bear it like a stoic. We don't pretend we enjoy it like a masochist. <laughs> he said, but we leap for joy. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because... We are going to inherit all things with Christ. Some people think that being different from the world has got to be somber, and you've got to look angry all the time. I, I know, I've met some people, I really do, that trust me, I mean, they look like they've been baptized in vinegar and weaned on lemon juice. They just, they think this is part of righteous living. You look angry all the time. No, no, no. Smile, smile. Jump upside, upside down with joy. I heard a story about a guest preacher who was coming to preach into this church, and uh, they sent the deacons to pick the guest preacher at, from the airport. Now, the deacon has never seen a picture of the guest preacher, so he didn't know what he looks like. And the first person to walk out of the plane looking sour, I mean, looking really, really sour, the deacon walked up to him and said, Sir, are you a preacher? And the man said, the man said No, I've just been sick for several days. <laughs> no, we smile because we love people. We love everybody. 
We love everybody. Say that with me. We love everybody. Say it loudly. We love everybody. Now, don't miss this. The phrase, be exceedingly glad, is not a recommendation. Oh, please be exceedingly glad. No, no, no. Actually, in the Greek, it's in the imperative mood. In other words, it's a loving command from the Lord Jesus. It's a loving command. Be exceedingly glad. You and I know that the world can take a lot of things from us. Like Coach Joe Kennedy, I mean, they can drag us to courts, and they will. They can even take our possessions. But the one thing they cannot take from us is the joy of the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen. They'll never take that. They could never do that. Jesus tells us that there are two reasons for rejoicing and being glad when you're persecuted for righteousness. First, because your reward is great. Oh, it will be a great reward. It's a great reward in two ways, by the way. It's far greater the reward, reward than those who just sat in the pews of salvation all of their life. They sat on their blessed assurance, did nothing for God, sacrificed nothing, gave nothing, done nothing. It's going to be far greater for those who suffered for righteousness. But it's also going to be far greater than anything that you have sacrificed or lost in this life. There is no comparison. One in a million, one in a trillion in terms of comparison. The reward also is going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever and not just for a few years. You know, this life is going to end for all of us. Listen to me. I have non-believing neighbors, bless their hearts. I mean, they just think that they're not going to die. I mean, they turn 100 and still think they feel fearful of death. We're not. It's foolishness to think you're going to live forever. No. No. We're all heading home. And that's why Jesus told us again and again and again and again, do not store up treasures for yourselves here on earth where you're going to leave it anyway, but send it on ahead where it will be waiting for you on the other side and will last for all of eternity. Send it on where you will be spending eternity. Don't accumulate here on earth where the this, your descendants probably going to blow it away anyway. <laughs> Send it on where the dividends is incalculable. Question. Should the believer be looking for his reward? Should the believer be faithful in serving and doing and giving so that they receive the reward? Is it wrong to be expecting your reward in heaven? And read my lips, absolutely not. Did you get that? Absolutely not. Jesus did. In fact, Hebrews 12, 2 says, because of the joy set before him, what is that? The resurrection and the ascension and the glorification, because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising shame. Hear me right. It's neither selfish nor unspiritual 
to look forward to your reward, to work for that reward. The Apostle Paul said, I've fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. Now I'm looking forward to my crown of righteousness. And by the way, it's not only me, everyone who loves his appearing. The second reason for rejoicing when you suffer for righteousness is because you're in good company. You're in good company. How do you like when somebody call you a prophet? Now, when you suffer for righteousness, you're just like the old prophets of old, the great men and women of the past. If you suffer for Jesus' sake, again, I'll make the distinction between just the suffering, the normal stuff that the world throws at us, or suffering for Jesus' sake you will expect to be blessed just like the great men and women of the past. Here's a fact. Regardless of how much we suffer for righteousness, it can never be, it can never be like those who are boiled in boiling oil, those who dipped in tar and were lit up as a torch to lighten the evening sky, or been put in sheep's skin, covered with sheep's skin, and thrown into wild animals, all for the sake of Christ, all for the sake of Christ. Oh, there was an easy way for them to escape. Every one of those people in the first century who were persecuted by Nero, and they were killed in a miserable way for the first 300 years, of, and those who are suffering today. In fact, you remember not long ago, a couple of years ago, when, when, when these 20 Christian Egyptians were beheaded on the shores, Mediterranean shores of Libya, they were beheaded. There was an African man who was not part of that group, and he was not a believer, but out of faith what he saw in these men, he said to them, he said, and when they he said, deny Jesus, said, no, their faith is my faith. And he placed his faith in Jesus before he saw Jesus. People, they could have escaped this very easy. They could have escaped it. All they could do is just compromise a little bit, not much, but just a little bit. All they could have done is just tell a, a, a little white lie. You know the white lies? Yeah, people always talk about white lies. There's no white and black. There's a lie. <laughs> just a little white lie. They would have just said, yes, Caesar is Lord. Yes, Caesar is Lord. And they could have said this with their mouths, but not believe it with their hearts, and they get away with it. But to them, earthly life was not their primary motivation. Heaven was. Let me tell you this as I conclude. This beatitude, beatitudes, all eight of them, they are truly a portrait. This is a picture of what it is to be a true believer in Jesus Christ. This is it. This portrait of this superstructure that our Lord Jesus gave us step by step by step, it begins by declaring our spiritual bankruptcy. I can't save myself. I'm desperate for you. 
as my Savior and Lord, come into my life. That's the very first step, and that takes us when we are standing in the light of Christ and the purity of Christ, we, we, we begin to mourn over our sin. And it takes us, thirdly, of keeping power under control. And fourthly, it takes us to the next step, which is being, far from being smug and self-righteous, we hunger and we thirst for righteousness openly and privately and in every way, which finally, take, fifthly, takes us uh, to the point of realizing that we do not run away from this world, but we are, exercise, we are to exercise mercy in this world. And sixth takes us to the daily cleansing because we are positionally cleansed as far as God the Father is concerned. All we need to do is daily cleanse and live in integrity. And seventh, when we do that, what happens, the peace of God and the peace with God that passes all understanding begins to dwell in us and begins to dwell in us in abundance, so much so that we are able to dispense it to others, give it to others, become peacemakers, and finally we'll be joyful in accepting insults, name-calling, or even physical suffering for the sake of the one who gave everything for us. Such a man, such a woman, such a boy and a girl is blessed indeed. Blessed, blessed, blessed. May everyone at the sound of my voice embrace this amazing blessing and discover true happiness that can come from within. The reason I named the series Happiness is in You because every believer has Christ on the inside of them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And because Christ is the source of happiness. And that is why it's in you. You don't have to look for it anywhere else. Christ is in you. And He is the source of all happiness, all blessings, all joy in the midst of difficulties. All you need to do now is to appropriate this happiness that's within you. Will you pray with me? Father, when we are getting bombarded 16 hours a day, with the values of this world, with the emphasis on this life. Even those of us who know you and love you can be impacted. And certainly half an hour on a Sunday morning is going to change 16 hours a day of brainwashing by the secular fallen world. And so, Father, without the power of your Holy Spirit working in us daily, hour by hour, minute by minute, we know we can easily fall in the trap of thinking like they do, believing what they do, and get angry like they do. But, oh, Father, in the Jesus' name, I pray for all my precious— I pray for me first, <laughs> and I pray for all my precious brothers and sisters in Christ— that you alert us to this incredible superstructure 
the Beatitudes, that we would be a portrait to a fallen world of what it means to live for Christ, love Christ, and love others for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's stand up and sing together.